Well, as I mentioned last week, um, I got a nice surprise, um, not this last week, but the week before last, uh, that even though it was short notice, uh, Brother Danny was going to be in town, and he was looking for churches to uh, share his work with, and I think it was a group text uh, that you sent out, but I jumped on it as quick as I could uh, so that we could grab him up before anyone else did. In fact, while we were talking on the phone, Brother Ronnie Toon gave him a call, and so we beat out everybody, just so you know. <laughs> so uh, we love church planners here. We've had uh, church planners from Malaysia. Uh, we've had... Um, We've had all kinds of ministries sharing their work uh, from around not only the community, but the state, and then, um, and then, like I said, even international. And by the way, uh, just found out this week, we have an opportunity to have a Nepali missionary to come in September. So, uh, so we might look at that as well. But uh, we're just so excited about the, what, not only what the Lord is doing here in Calvary, but what the Lord is doing uh, uh, around the world. And, and Danny is just so excited to share what's happening in Wyoming. And so, and I'm hoping next year, and go ahead and, and put this down on your calendar, because I would love to take a group to Wyoming and assist with his church plant out there. And so uh, I know that there are some of you who can go on that trip. And so we're, uh, I'm hoping to do that next fall, uh, not next fall, next summer. And trust me, the summers out there are so much better than they are here. So, um, so anyway, uh, were you, did you find yourself wondering if you breathe this air or drink it when you came back? No? Okay. So anyway, um, but we're excited about Brother Danny, and I know you're tired of me talking, so uh, Brother Danny, why don't you come on up and share what the Lord has put on your heart? Yeah, there's two things about Wyoming that uh, I love. One, there's no traffic, you know, it's just really great. I'm always amazed on a Friday afternoon, evening, or into the weekend, and you're thinking, I need to get across town, and the traffic is just not too bad. That's one reason to really love Wyoming. The other is no humidity. It's the most amazing thing. You can step into the shade on a good, uh, warm summer day, and it's immediately cooler, and uh, I grew up in Georgia and Mississippi, and Now Arkansas a little bit as well, and so I know what humidity's like, and there's no humidity in Wyoming. There's a kid's movie years ago, and one of the little songs, There Were No Cats in America. I don't remember the name of this. There are no cats in America. Anyway, so I won't sing that for you. You didn't come to learn about children's musical, but I sort of walk around the yard going, there's no humidity in Wyoming, and that's obviously I was entertained a lot as a kid, and so, yeah, I I was calling... uh, Randy and Ronnie, we, uh, we always like the opportunity. My wife, uh, her family lives down in Greenbrier, so anytime we're back in, we love to be able to share. Uh, not so much because we feel like for us that, uh, that we have something to say, uh, but just being reminded that it's churches that plant churches, and it's churches that help churches. I, I noticed kind of a common refrain uh, in the songs that we were singing today Um, that there was that echo of we do this together, Um, that one of the the ways that we reach the world for Christ, whether in Nepal, whether in Malaysia, whether in Wyoming, 
is that we all do this together. And so this morning, I'd just like to encourage us to think about what that looks like. Um, I know sometimes when there's a guest speaker, you, you know, it's a little different, little uh, maybe different flow, a little different feel. So I always like to know uh, and give a little bit of a um, direction that we're going to head. And again, we are the Smith family out in Casper, Wyoming. Um, but basically, here's what I want us to do today. I want to talk a little bit about who we are, uh, a little bit about what we're doing, a lot about why it's important and a little bit about how you can help. So that way you kind of know what the flow of the service looks like today. Um, I can tell you that one of the joys that we have when we come back to Arkansas and we fellow, uh, fellowship with churches like Calvary, um, I love to hear the people singing. I love to hear the people praying. It's a great encouragement to us. Sometimes I get tunnel vision. I don't know if you do this. I can look only at my church or at my context or at my setting and think, boy, is there anything else going on? Is there anything else happening? And it's always an encouragement uh, to be around another group and uh, body of believers to be able to um, just see the Lord at work in your lives. Um, I want to say, too, kind of out of the gate that I appreciate your pastor so much. Um, You know, one of the things that uh, I believe a church ought to be incredibly grateful for is not just having a pastor, but a pastor who knows how to preach the word and shepherd according to that word. And I know you have that here. I know you have a pastor and family that that love you. And uh, I'll just be honest with you. um, You know, my dad was a pastor. I've served as a pastor. Um, I, I know what it's like to walk through that day in, day out grind of what it takes. The last two or three, four years have just been terribly tough. Um, there are record numbers of pastors and their families leaving the ministry. They're burnt out. Nobody could do anything right during COVID. No one could get along during COVID. And so, you know, there's a lot of churches struggling. A lot of churches would just say, man, we just wish we had somebody that could teach us the word, somebody that could actually open up the word, explain it to me so that I can, I can live that out. And I noticed kind of knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith that you guys had on the screen earlier. So I just want to say, I have no doubts you have a pastor that can lead you in that. And I know that you're praying for him, but I always feel a a real uh, special kinship to guys like Randy who just love the word. Uh, Honestly, the few times that we had lunch together, I'm like, Randy, could you explain this to me? (laughs) Help me understand. And uh, it was always insightful and helpful to do that. So brother, I appreciate you all and praying for you who we are. So we're the Smith family. We didn't just make that up and roll in the town. We really are Smiths. There's just a few of us in the world. I've got my wife, Talissa, and uh, our kids, Lucas, Emma, and Jackson. They're over here on the front row. I tried to convince them to do a skit or a song, but they were just, they were killing me with darts from their eyes. No. And uh, and so they're not going to get up and do anything, but uh, we're so thankful. God called our family to missions many years before we ever went to the mission field of Wyoming. And I'll explain more about Wyoming here in just a bit. Years ago, when Talissa and I had no kids, uh, really in our first few years of marriage, the Lord began to use a series of church services. Again, I believe churches plant churches and send missionaries. And so our time in seminary, our time at our local church, God began to use the sermons. God began to use um, everything, the discipleship that we were going through to really shape and to form in us a calling to go from where we were to somewhere else. And that's how our call to missions began. It didn't begin with a specific place in mind. 
Uh, in fact, over the years, we wrestled with what that specific place might look like. Uh, there were times we thought it might be somewhere like the city of Chicago. Um, there were times we thought it might even be overseas, and those things may one day come about. But over the years, God began to take that call in our family, and he began to continue to use the people of his churches, the, the sermons, the, the preaching, the discipleship. And over the years, and I would say about a 10 or 12 year time frame, the Lord began to put on our hearts um, the, uh, the state of Wyoming. And it's funny how the Lord brings things full circle because really our, our ability to go to Wyoming, or maybe I should say our entry point to Wyoming, actually began here in the Independence Baptist Association because Pastor Chris Sims uh, had moved to Wyoming to start a church. Uh, in God's sovereignty, he led Chris's brother to be a member of our church down in Greenbrier. You know, you can't make this up. You can't write a script for this. And so we began to support that work, probably like you guys began to do as well. And then not too long after that, it was just very clear to our family. And we've always tried to make these things family decisions. We, we never tried to hide these things from our children. My wife and I are very open in our prayer times about where is God leading us. And so, um, and it's been a, a journey. Let me, there, there's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother time uh, for, for sharing just what the last five years particularly have looked like. But God led us to Casper, Wyoming. Casper is a town of anywhere from 55 to 60,000 people. Anybody ever been to Casper before? We got a few. Okay. How many have been on a mission trip to Casper before? Anybody go with, I know Ronnie's taking a group. We got a few. Okay, good, good. Well, I hope next summer many of you will come out. It's a wonderful town to live in. This is the Platte River, uh, and it's going to play into what we're doing. Uh, the city of Casper, 55 to 60,000 people. Um, it's a mixed bag when it comes to the things of Christianity or faith or religion. Wyoming in general is a very mixed bag. Uh, Randy can probably tell you how Colorado is. Uh, Wyoming's probably a smaller uh, microcosm than that. Here's what you're going to find in Casper. You're going to find a lot of church buildings that look just like Calvary's church building. Um, today, on a Sunday morning, um, out of about 55 or 60,000 people, maybe at best, and I, I'm going to just lump in every religious group, about 30% of that city is going to be in a church building somewhere in Casper. If we, want to, if we want to begin to dive deeper into how many of those are going to churches that preach the gospel, how many of those are going to Mormon churches, how many of those are going to Catholic churches, we're going to have a whole other conversation about what that can look like. In fact, on the west side of town, not far from where we're planting, they are building a Mormon temple in Casper right now. An estimated six to 8,000 new Mormon Families are going to be coming into the area. It's a big draw. Um, and so uh, you talk to our Mormon friends, and I say that specifically because they are our friends, though we differ greatly on the meaning of the gospel, on who God is, and it is an ongoing conversation. My wife works with a, a lady whose family are deeply committed to the Mormon faith. I spent some time working for a gentleman deeply committed uh, to the Mormon faith, and their words, their conversations are, you know, were essentially the same. What we run into is not just that particular worldview, but when you talk to folks that we would say, now these are followers of Jesus, you might even hear them go, aren't we essentially the same? 
And so Casper's a mixed bag when it comes to the things of Christianity and religion and faith. Uh, there's a large Catholic denomination uh, in the city of Casper, mainly due to railroad years uh, ago bringing in different uh, uh, Lutheran immigrants and uh, Irish Catholics and things of that nature. But there's also a large pagan population in Casper, which is a word that we often associate with Malaysia or Nepal or places of that. But I use the word pagan because it's a very open, spiritually uh, inclusive place where the land and even the wind, the indigenous peoples and all that goes with that builds itself into a lot of the worldview. So it's not unusual to talk to someone who is into the mystical arts of some type. Uh, on the mountain, that, it's not a great picture. The very back part of the photo is Casper Mountain. Uh, every year they have a witch's gathering there called Crimson Dawn. It's a, it's a big family fest. When they had, uh, and I'm going to get in over my head right here. I'm not a, um, I, I should remember the things I learned in my science classes. Uh, you know, note to self, don't bring this up in a sermon until you've uh, actually researched that. But you know what happens with the uh, spring equinox and all of those things. And so just these few months ago, there was a large witches uh, family gathering where kids can go on tours where the witches give them tours and talk about all of the nature and the synergies and the things like that. And that's where the Lord has called us to plant a church. So what we're doing is we're planting a church called Platte River Bible Church. This is kind of an initial uh, attempt at some logo and branding and things of that nature. And essentially what we hope to see happen with Platte River Bible Church is that we can be an encouragement that community to know Christ and to make Him known. We believe that knowing Christ and having a relationship with Him is what obviously gives us peace with God who loves us, who cares for us. And so we want to be uh, bearing the image of God there. We want to be able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and really speak into a place like Casper where there's all kinds of different ideas, all different kinds of philosophies, all different kinds of worldviews, and that we can center them back on the things of the Lord as genuinely taught in Scripture. We believe that the authority and the sufficiency for any church, whether it's here at Calvary, whether it's at Platte River Bible Church, is the Word of God. We don't have to guess. We don't have to be mystical about it. We don't have to wonder what the Lord has said. We can open His Word, and there we can find what the Lord has said and what it means for our lives. And we want to be able to share that with people. Wyoming's fiercely independent and, uh, and to be honest with you, we're all kind of this way. We don't like to be told what to do. Uh, it's just a little more uh, less hidden there uh, in a place like Wyoming. We hide it well here in the Bible Belt. We say we believe in the authority of Scripture, but if they followed us around all week, uh, maybe not so much. And so at least in Wyoming, they tell you what they actually, they don't try to hide it at all. And so at Platte River Bible Church, our goal is to reach, to teach, to equip and to send. That's what we're there for. The Lord has been so gracious in these last few months to really turn the dial up, so to speak. We have seen several families begin to engage in our discipleship core groups. Um, Lord willing, the Sunday after Labor Day. Now check this out. Our kids don't go back to school until after Labor Day. Isn't that fun? 
You know, now they didn't get out till June the 7th, so it was a little bit later, but uh, it's really nice that we've got a whole another month of, of school out. But anyway, after Labor Day, we'll begin to take that up one more notch with our discipleship core group. We'll begin to branch out from there. Uh, we call it Platte River Bible Church for a couple of reasons. One, the Platte River plays a significant role in bringing life to uh, the West with its watering ability. And so we want to be able to bring life to the West as well through Platte River Bible Church. Also, we didn't want to just be Platte River Church because there's a lot of buildings that have some type of church name on it. Bible Church really helpfully, hopefully defines who we are, what we're trying to do. This is what we're going to teach you. And the other part of that is it's kind of a boring name because I'm a pretty boring person. And if there's anything we're learning, it's good to just be boring sometimes, isn't it? It's good just to get into the Word. We're not trying to be flashy. It's not like we've got it figured out, but we want to be taught by Scripture. How do we know the Lord and how do we make Him known? So who we are, we're the Smith family. What we're trying to do, we're trying to plant a church in a place like Casper, that although it's only 15, 16, 17 hours down the interstate, only. Don't you like how I say the word only in there? It's only right down the road. Just hop in your car and go today. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you, the first 12 hours are fine. It's the last four or five hours are like, I don't even love anybody anymore. I don't have to see family. <laughs> I don't have to see other believers. <laughs> I don't even love my family anymore. So <laughs> it's, uh, it is, it's not a bad drive. Somebody always asks us, what's the easiest way to get there? And you go, hmm, <laughs> easiest way. If you can get on an airplane, that'd be great. But it's not a bad drive at all. And it's a place that God calls us. I'm reminded of a quote that Flannery O'Connor once said when she was talking about her writing ability. And she said that the things we see, the things we hear, the things we smell, the things we touch, they affect us long before we believe anything else at all. And I can remember years ago through the church that I grew up in, through the churches over the years, Hearing songs like Send the Light or Here I Am, Lord, or other missionary calls. And even though at that time I didn't believe it in my own heart yet, the Lord began to take that and began to use that. Because what we do, whether in Batesville, Arkansas, or Casper, Wyoming, what we do is very important. Like this gathering today is not merely just something you're checking off the list. If it is, we need to have a conversation. What we're doing today is not merely a ritual that makes me feel better about myself because I was in a building and then I can go on about my day. Our goal, our intent on meeting is we believe this, that one of the things about this gathering is that we believe that this is just a, a picture, a glimpse, even if it's brief, of the ultimate gathering that we're going to have in heaven one day where every tribe and every nation and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, all to the glory of the Father. So every time you walk in and sing and pray and hear the word and you sit in your uh, small groups, discipleship classes, Sunday school classes, we're reminded, God, this is, this is just a glimpse. It's happening here. It's happening all over the world. But we also come in realizing that, Lord, more than anything, I also need to hear a word from you. 
If I were to just merely entertain you with stories of Wyoming and funny jokes, well, they probably aren't funny, but if I were to try to entertain you, you might walk away and think, boy, wasn't he entertaining? But at the end of the day, that's really not going to lead you anywhere either. So what we believe about Platte River Bible Church and what I believe about your church as well is that we want to know that what we do is very important. That we need to hear from the Lord in this. Because it's not just a place like Casper or Malaysia or Nepal where people believe these weird, funny things. I guarantee if we started talking to our neighbors and our coworkers, we'd start hearing these things and go, well, wait a minute. That's what you believe. That's what you're anchoring your trust in. That's what you're seeking to find your hope in, your assurance in. And so as we think about what we do is important, I want us to turn into the Old Testament, which is not always usual for a missions type of sermon. But in the book of Exodus, what I'd like to try to do is is maybe just kind of give you a brief sketch of God's call to the nations and what that can look like for your life today. Beginning in Exodus chapter 1, I'll just read a few verses there. And and really just in these first couple of chapters, I just want to read a a couple of quick passages on that. If you uh, have read through your Bible or maybe you're reading through your Bible in a year, you know, when you get out of Genesis, Joseph has died. Um, Joseph and that story, one of the last major uh, narrative blocks in the book of Genesis. We know that that Joseph had went down to Egypt there and had risen to the point of second in command and the other brothers and of course his father Israel comes down and, and the Pharaoh says, bring them all down to Egypt there in the book of Genesis, give them the best of the land and they go into the land of Goshen and there the book of Genesis ends with a promise that, hey, Uh, something is going to draw you back. Don't worry, you're going to get back to your homeland. And so when the book of Exodus opens, lots of time has passed. In fact, the story of the Exodus is going to happen about 430 years or so after Joseph and his brothers and their families all move into the land of Goshen. Many things have changed Uh, during that time frame. If you look in the very uh, uh, chapter one, verse eight, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said, behold, the people of Israel are too many. They're too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies. They fight against us. They escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. It goes on to talk about that, that even though they were afflicting all this oppression onto the people of Israel, that they continue to increase and they continue to multiply. And and, and the people of Egypt, uh, led by their king, would take even more drastic steps to try to curve what was happening. I love how in verse 8 it says there was a king that rose that did not know Joseph. You know, I used to think that for whatever reason, he didn't know about Joseph, but probably more likely than not, it was more of an attitude of like, that might have been fine for his day, but in our day, we're going to do things differently. He has a different mindset. He has a different outlook on what their future should be. Now, whether he genuinely feared them or he was making a political move, 
the book of Exodus opens up in a not so good spot. Genesis closes with such promise and with such hope, but Exodus very quickly squashes that. But all is not lost. If you look toward the end of chapter one, as they took even more drastic steps to curve this uh, uh, growing population, the midwives who were called in to help in the birth situations, they were instructed, right, to kill the male children of, of Israel, but they didn't. In fact, look at verse number 17. It says, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. He's going to call them in and go, what is going on? I, we told you that when these male children are born, you ought to kill them. But I love the characterization of this phrase, they feared God. In other words, they stood in awe of who God was. So even though there's not a lot of hope on the horizon, and even though things have changed drastically, we are reminded in this early portion of Exodus that there are examples of faithfulness that are still taking place. In fact, I could take you to a place like Casper. Now, Casper is not, you know, Egypt of long ago, so let's not try to press this too hard in, but... Simply put, there are examples of faithfulness in many cultures that are often opposed to the work and to the will of God for their lives. I was encouraged right after I hung up the phone with your pastor. This is, again, have you ever had one of those moments where God did something so significant in like a short amount of time that you had to process and go, that happened in like three hours. So in this very short stretch of time, as soon as I hang up with your pastor, this guy in this little coffee shop that I was in reaches over. He goes, hey, man, I wasn't trying to listen to you. He said, but uh, are you a pastor? I said, well, you know, we're, we're planting a church. He's like, man, we just moved from California. And man, we are just desperately looking for a church. We're just looking for a place to get plugged in. We feel like so we have a two or three hour conversation. And the Lord instantly gave us a, a kinship and a connection and I was reminded that even in these moments where there's a city and a town vastly unreached and unchurched, examples of faithfulness. And so chapter one opens up with these dark days for the people of God. Sometimes if you watch the news enough or read Facebook enough, you can close and go, boy, these are dark days. Nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows who to trust. Nobody knows what to look at. And it can cause a lot of grief. It can cause a lot of sorrow, a lot of wringing of the hands, so to speak. Yet those examples of faithfulness remind us that God is at work, that God desires his work to continue. And he will, as Paul says in the New Testament, Bring it to a completion, even if it's all the way at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ returning. So Exodus chapter 1 shows us these uh, dark days, but it also shows us these examples of faithfulness. Chapter 2 opens up with the birth of Moses. Now Moses, in my mind, will always look like Charlton Heston because... Who else is Moses going to look like? Amen. And so, and, ran, and by the way, the Pharaoh will always look like Yule Brenner. So it's just a really ingrained thing in my mind. And, uh, you know, if he's somebody else for you, that's fine. But it's always going to be those guys. Moses 
with a really um, very unique circumstances concerning his birth, right? He's born, his mother is able to kind of hide him for a little while, then puts him in the basket in the Nile River. His sister watches over, which is interesting that that verse in the psalm talked about Moses' sister helping him. Anyway, and so Moses then is found by the daughter of Pharaoh, and he's taken, and while his mother nurses him for a short period of time, ultimately Moses is going to be raised in the palace of Pharaoh. So again, sometimes we we see these behind the scene things kind of in hindsight and go, all right, the midwives, very open, very faithful. Sometimes God's working behind the scenes that we don't always see. In fact, John Piper puts it this way, that God is often working in a thousand ways around us, but we'll know about one of them, maybe. So in reading the story of Moses, we're reading from hindsight. We know where the story goes. We know it's going to end up okay. But my goodness, mom, can you imagine? Your husband is off making these bricks. He's a slave building these cities. You are trying to hide this child. Ultimately, God gives him back to you for a season, but then you have to give this child back. Again, this is, these are dark days. These are tough times. There is nothing easy about what's happening as the story of Exodus unfolds. But then somewhere along the way, Moses finds out he's a Hebrew. He sees a couple of Hebrews that are struggling. And, and, and the, even before that, he sees a, a Hebrew, uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He takes matters into his own hands and he decides he's going to take care of that guy. And he buries him in the sand after he murders him. And then the next day, he's two Hebrews fighting. He's like, fellas, let's quit this. And they're like, what, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And it goes downhill from there. He's got to flee. He's got to get out of Dodge because Pharaoh wants him dead. He's committed murder. And so now excuse me, Moses is going to go to a place called Midian. And we know the story there. He goes. He meets a man named Jethro, who I think was from Arkansas originally, based on his name. I don't know. And so, so you know, that works in places like Wyoming because they think we all don't wear shoes or everybody is named Jethro. It's the craziest thing. So Jethro and his family, he meets them. He marries a woman named Zipporah and he begins a new career. Hey, anybody ever changed careers for anybody career changed at some point? It's not fun, is it? When you've done something 10, 15, 20 years and you decide to change that up. I recently did that so that I could church plant and it is wearing me out. Let me tell you, I thought that I could keep up and I have suddenly sensed my age. When you get over 40 into your you know, mid-40s, not only can you not remember, like you mentioned, like what else did I forget? I do that every day. What else did I forget? And so I feel that way all the time. He becomes a shepherd and he's walking around He's got all this free time on his hands. And you wonder, where is this going? Again, we have hindsight, we know. Look there in chapter 2. It says in verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. This king that set the taskmasters, this king that stoked all the uh, fear and the, the warmongering, he dies. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God 
And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I love this passage. It's one that I've went back to many, many times over the years because in the story, in the writing, in the structure of the book, as we set the tone for what's happening, all these years pass. And then there's another big gap between verse 22 and verse 23, all these many days. And it seems like God's forgotten. In some ways, it seems like God has abandoned. It seems like God has just totally changed plans. But again, writing in hindsight, Moses is able to say in all those years, God saw them, God heard them, God knew what was going on, and God remembered his covenant. In chapters one and two, we see the word God used many times, the Hebrew word Elohim, In some ways, it's not something we want to press in too much on, but it is a very general name for God. It is a a, a word that simply says there is a deity. There is this, there's this being, whether we can know him or not, we don't know. And so in many ways, when we read these first two chapters, there are examples of faithfulness, but there's also examples of forgetfulness. Can he really hear us? Can he really see us? Two of the most basic nurturing aspects of being a person is that we are seen and that we are heard. No one likes to be isolated. No one likes to be forsaken. No one likes to be pushed to the side. We want to know that we're seen and we're heard. And writing in hindsight, Moses says, in all those days, God did see them. In fact, We're going to see how God heard them. He has the power to hear. What I love, again, as the story of the Exodus unfolds, we're going to see things like the 10 plagues. And and it's often noted that each of these plagues corresponded to one of the gods of Egypt and God's superiority over those particular gods. Because those gods couldn't hear. They couldn't see. They could not remember. They could not act. But this God can This God is able to do things that the other gods that we trust in cannot do in our life. Tim Keller talks about what these counterfeit gods look like. He he talks about the things that we love, the things that we trust, the things that we serve. Those turn into the idols of our own heart. So if you go to my house in Wyoming or when I lived here in Arkansas, you're not going to find a little statue on a shelf. But if you opened up my heart and you could see spiritually, you would find that oftentimes I have these counterfeit gods in my own heart that the real, true, genuine God has to deal with often in very violent ways in my heart because I just don't go down without a fight. And so Moses writing says, God did see them. God did hear them. Unlike the gods of Egypt, God remembers, he recalls that covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. And rather than forgetting, rather than changing, God intends to actually keep his covenant promises. God sees them. You know what I love about that phrase is the idea is that that God sees perfectly what their circumstances are. 
Have you ever been listening to your kids and not listening to them at the same time? I've never done this. I've heard of parents that do such things. Amen. I've, I've heard of parents who do such things. They'll be telling a story. You're like, yeah, wow. In fact, my kids know I have a, uh, a little bit of a ritual I can go through, pick them up from school, talk, 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 talk. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that something? Boy, that's good. Well, one day it bit me. I was like, wow, that's good. And they went, is it? I went, tell me again what you said, you know, and then I will tell you if that was good. I say that to say that God, for all of the vastness of creation, still hears and sees perfectly all that's happening. Because the lies that we believe is that he doesn't, or he's forgotten, or he's changed his mind. Twice a year, our Mormon friends will have a big convocation, usually around Easter. That's the main one. Sometimes they have one in the fall. That's where the prophet at that time will get up and say, all right, here's what God has said. And they just take it textbook. Do you know how they deal with some of the blemishes of their past? They can change it every year. They can change everything they believe every year. If somebody simply gets up and says, well, yeah, we don't, we're not doing that anymore. God's actually changed his mind. Wouldn't that be maddening? Wouldn't that be maddening not to be able to know what anchors your trust? But it happens every year. So here's Moses. He's shepherding these sheep, probably like you and I going, all right, what in the world is the Lord up to? Where are we going with this? How's this going to work out? I don't understand. And then chapter three says that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. <coughs> and he said, here I am. He said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, off your feet. For the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to see God. So this is quite the encounter. It's probably one we're somewhat familiar with. Maybe you had the flannel graphs growing up and you could still see the stuff on the old flannel boards. I know I can. There's a, a real progression that's going to take place in the book of Exodus. This initial encounter with God here at Mount Horeb, if you go to Exodus 19 and 20, when God's led his people to the base of the mountain, and it's not just a burning bush, but it is the fire of God on the top of the mountain. Literally, I think what happens there, I think that God intends his people to meet him and they all back up and go, Moses, you go. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. And Moses goes before the Lord, but it doesn't begin that way, does it? He's like, hey, this is kind of cool. This bush is on fire. It's not burning. But then as God calls to him and talks about his holiness, Moses, like others who encounter the holiness of God, doesn't go, this is really neat. I'd like to video this on my phone if I could. Instead, he goes, I don't even want to look. 
It's reminiscent of maybe even Isaiah seeing the holiness of God going, I am coming apart at the seams as I stand before the holiness of God. And as we begin to look at this passage, God begins to call Moses. He says, I'm sending you back. I want you to go bring my people out, bring them to this mountain. You're going to worship and I'm going to continue my purposes that I told Abraham, Isaac and Jacob all those years ago. And Moses says, great, let's do it. When do I leave? When do I sign up? What do I need to do? Well, when you read, that's not what happens at all. Moses is going to give a lot of excuses. Here's why I don't want to go. And here's, here's what I would kind of distill it down to. One, it just seems very impossible, doesn't it? One man to go stand before the king of Egypt and say, <clears throat> excuse me, sir. <laughs> the Lord says to let his people go. That's what he tells him to do. He doesn't say, now listen, when you get there, man, I'm going to send lightning bolts in. I'm going to graciously change that hard. I'm going to graciously do that. He says, no, just go in and tell him to let them go. It seems impossible. But what we discover in the call of Moses and what I think we see in God's call to us to reach the nations is that God's not specifically just calling us to that task but he's calling us to himself. Because Moses, if you will trust me, here's how you'll know things are going well. I'm going to be with you. And when y'all get back to this mountain, and I don't know if the Lord said y'all or not, but when you get back to this mountain and you see all that's happening, it's going to click in your mind. The Lord just did what he said he would do. Moses' part was to follow him. His obedience flowed out of a faith that says, okay, I can take God at his word. And as the story unfolds, we see Moses, though timid at times and even sometimes getting it wrong, we see God working in his life and through his life to lead his people who have been enslaved all to the freedom that God has called them to. One thing I know and I can tell you, and you know this too, whether it's walking next door to your neighbor or moving to Casper or going to Malaysia and everywhere in between, it can feel really impossible. I've got some coworkers that I work with. I pray for them by name every day. But I got to tell you, my faith is very weak sometimes when, it, when I think about them. I know no one's more lost than others, but let me tell you, sometimes I feel like, ugh, this is never going to change. It can feel impossible. Or if we really spiritualize, we could say, this feels really improbable. Okay, I'll pray. All right. I'll go plant a church. I'll move to Casper. I'll give this a shot. But it ain't going to happen. We go into it defeated already. We go into it thinking, it'll never change. I can never reach my neighbor. They're a jerk. I'll never reach my neighbor. They don't know the Lord. And in chapter three, and we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks studying, the Lord simply said, here's what you need to tell them, that the Lord has sent you. And I really, genuinely, honestly believe, and sometimes it's out of desperation, we're not going to be able to plant this church 
unless the Lord is with us. Jesus would say, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Jesus would say, unless it falls into the ground and dies, it's not going to bear much fruit. Our dreams, our ambitions, and those things sometimes have to be put to death so the Lord can say, it does seem impossible. It does feel improbable, but so did saving you. It seemed impossible and improbable maybe that you would ever be saved, but God in his grace calls you to himself. And as we are called to, the Lord through the, uh, called to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, we discover that as we obey him, like Moses, we can high sign and go, you know what he did here? He did see. He did remember. Why is what we're doing important? Not because we're going back to Egypt to get the people of Israel out, but we are going to a place vastly unreached where people need to know that there is a God in heaven. I wish we had more time this morning. You could read through the book of Exodus and you'll see a phrase that he knows or that you will know or that the people will know that there is a God in heaven. That there is a God among the people of Israel who is greater than any other God. This is why it's important. So how can you help this morning? As we think about this call to reach the nations, it could be some dark days. It could seem impossible. It can seem improbable. But here's what we know. Number one, we've got to partner together. We've got to pray for one another. We've got to encourage one another. We've got to help one another. We got to participate together, right? We got to participate because it's not just Randy's responsibility to grow Calvary. It's not just Danny and Talissa's responsibility to go grow Platte River. It's not just your deacon's responsibility. As Christ followers, we say we've been set free. We want others to be set free. Let's do this together. We give of our time, we give of our energy, we give of our resources to the work of the kingdom. But more than all of that, we give ourselves to the Lord completely. In fact, as we begin our time of response this morning, maybe simply think about your own life, minding your own business, walking around the wilderness of Midian with your sheep, and all of a sudden the Lord's calling you going, hey, it's not where you need to be. You need to be following me. You're not where you need to be. You need to follow me completely. Maybe the Lord has revealed areas of sin in your life today where you're like, man, I've been kind of holding back. I've, I've, because it's hard, because it's impossible, I, you know, I, I decided not to do it. Can I encourage you today? It's not going to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it, by the way, right? Like if all this were easy, we'd have no issue. But the Lord never promised us easy, but he promises himself, and that's enough. I wish I had more time this morning. I could tell you how the Lord has taught me that sort of the hard way over the last few years. But I can tell you this. If you'll step out and trust the Lord, if you'll trust His character, if you'll trust His heart, He'll trace out the path for you. Don't worry about choosing door one or two. Not let's make a deal. God, I'll follow you. And wherever you lead me, I'll go. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will help us as your people to trust you completely. Lord, there's so much more we could study, but in these moments, God, we just want you to be glorified. Help us to live on mission right here in Batesville every single day. And God, I pray we'll glorify you in how we do this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you so much, Brother Danny, for sharing. Wasn't that such a, a wonderful, uh, just to take part in that and to know what the Lord is doing in his own heart, to know what the Lord is doing through his word. And maybe the Lord's doing something with you this morning. We want to give you an opportunity just to, uh, just to respond to that. Let's go ahead and stand. And of course, you know, you don't have to come down here to respond. You can do so right where you are, but maybe if... Maybe you need some counsel for how to respond, or maybe you need some counsel, uh, you just want someone to pray with you, or, or something like that. Maybe you have questions about church planting. Maybe you feel like you're being called into something like that, and you want some questions about the process. Uh, Brother Danny will make himself available to uh, give you some information about that, kind of his process he went through. Uh, whatever, the, whatever it may be, we, we invite you to come. I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads for a few moments and, and ask what may the Lord be calling you to and how may you be sent right where you are. Uh, we're, not, we're not called to be comfortable. We're called to be on mission. We are the church militant. We are not the church triumphant, not yet. And so how can you be militant for the cause of Christ in this week? What will you do different this week that you didn't do last week that you can work toward the redemption of a neighbor, perhaps your work, perhaps whatever it is? I invite you to reflect on that as, we, as our musicians play for just a few moments. Mm-hmm.